Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Right now here on Out of Bounds, we're joined by a very special guest, a man that knows all things about college football and the goings-on throughout the entire sport. It is Brandon Marcello of 247sports.com, national college football expert, and he joins us now. What's going on, Brandon? It's been a while, man. How you been? Not much. I'm, I've been well. I can't believe we're more than halfway through the college football season. It makes me sad. I know, right? It is a sad thing. You know, just overall thinking about uh, how quickly it's gone, how much we anticipated it being here since we're a little way past half point. I'll just start right there. Like, what what has been probably the biggest surprises or the bit most surprising thing to you this college football season so far? Um, Most surprising. I would say man, there's a few things. One, to be honest, I thought USC's deep would actually have something of a defense this year, and they they look worse than they do last year defensively. I'm shocked by that, quite frankly. Um, I'm surprised that Alabama has seemingly not found its mojo as a team and had everything co, you know, coalesce here uh, by the midpoint of the season. Uh, they just do not look obviously like a playoff team. I'm surprised at how well Jaden Daniels has been performing for for LSU. I mean, I think he's right now. I think he should probably be the Heisman favorite, though. I think JJ McCarthy at Michigan will end up winning it, but he's absolutely just carried LSU all season. They're the only, he's the only reason why they're even in contention in the sec West right now. Um, you know, and then Clemson, uh, it just, I don't think they're running Garrett Riley's offense. I think Dabo's still holding them back a little bit. And I think there's a little infighting going on there because this past weekend, you know, I was, I was in Miami for Clemson, Miami and some other things. I was on assignment and the very final play, a two point conversion to force a third overtime. I think, uh, Kay Klubnick, the quarterback who we all were marveling over last year, he decides to not hand the ball off on a, a designed run play. He designed to keep, he keeps it himself and gets just demolished for, to end the game. There's just some weird vibes going on there at the Clemson program. Um, and we might be able to get in this too, but it kind of extends into, man, what a terrible three-team trade that happened last offseason among Arkansas, TCU, and Clemson. Like, no one is for the better with those offensive coordinator trades. Yeah, I know. And it's like you brought up the whole infighting and, and offense, and I just couldn't help, of course, first thing think of just with Arkansas and the – the Dan Eno situation, man. And you, know, you, you were on top of it and reporting that uh, he, he got fired and, you know, it's always tough to have in season, mid season coaching changes at the head coaching position, but then a coordinator position and an Arkansas team is so unique because yeah, they're two and six, but five of those losses are by one possession. And then I just witnessed in person, a seven to three final in the modern era of college football. Didn't think that was ever going to be possible to me. That's of course here in Arkansas, that's who we cover, but, what a weird, bad, overall just awkward situation that the Razorbacks have in football right now. Terrible hire, Danny knows. And and like, you know, as a reporter, I, I choose pick and choose my spots to be objective on. But I've been saying it for the last two years. Arkansas is going to look back at the day that they lose Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles and go, oh, man, we did have it pretty good. Yeah. Now, defensively, Arkansas is not that bad. They're pretty good considering the talent they had coming back. And Travis Williams, again, I think is an up-and-coming coach, defensive coordinator, and he's another guy Arkansas is going to have to try and keep a hold of here in the next two or three years, I think. But 
offensively, as a program, you got to kind of figure out what your identity is. And if to go from a beer and shoot, whatever you want to call it, with Kendall Bryles, that is not necessarily unique, but is very specific and particular about the personnel and the offense it runs to just go, hey, let's go get Dan Enos and run a pro-style offense that has all this verbiage and let's just change everything up. It doesn't necessarily fit the personnel that's on campus. What? And it was sold as, hey, we're getting KJ Jefferson more ready for the NFL. Getting Rocket Sanders more prepared for the NFL. It's like, that's great. What the hell are you doing to prepare Arkansas to win games week to week? Because that ain't it, bro. It's just not. You didn't have the offensive line to run that system. You certainly did not have this game-breaking speed at the receiver spots to be able to, to run this offense. And my goodness, um, I watched about probably about an hour of that game against Mississippi State, the end of the third quarter, all the way through the end of the game. And I'm sure you're aware, and then your listeners and watch, people watching this are aware, ESPN's commentators were just going all in, ripping apart Danny Enos' system, whether it was from the fundamental things, the technique, the spacing. I mean, just ripping it apart. I mean, a junior high coach could have been doing better what Danny Enos was doing, apparently. <laughs> That's what it made it sound like. And again, it was a hire that just made you go, other than he coached with Sam Pittman on the Brett Bielma staff, like why, why, what's, how's this make sense? And, you know, listen, sometimes just common sense is common sense. And this past week, Mississippi State and Arkansas met where both teams decided to just go completely away from the offensive identity that had been installed there the last three, four years. And what do you know? Neither was really working. And we got the seven to three extravaganza that we got on the field that uh, was uh, honestly more boring and more disgusting than what we were expecting from Iowa and Minnesota later the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I was thinking going into that game and, and just seeing the season so far that the offense of course have had its problems, but it just kept getting worse and worse as time went on. And I, I guess the thing that I looked at is, you know, Dan Enos has been around offenses before and he knew what he had and walking in and then, but also Pittman, knowing that it was a Kendall Bryles offense that was, you know, obviously very effective. Like you could say what you want about the defense last year, but Arkansas's offense was actually very good. You had a 1400 yeah. yard rusher and KJ was solid when he was healthy. And I guess that's the ultimate question of what, what got into Pittman's head of why hiring someone like that? Like what was it that Dan Enos could bring that other people couldn't? I thought, you know, I don't know if you were at media days, but if you remember, you know, SEC StatCat, that group, crew, Clark Brooks and them, they straight up asked Sam Pittman at SEC media days, like, you know, Dan Enos is not known for explosive plays. At Arkansas the past couple of years, you've been the most explosive offense as far as just yards gained through the passing game and running game, 20-plus yard gains. Like, what makes you think this is going to work? And Pittman really didn't have an answer. He tried to talk his way out of it. But, boy, I mean – he, they know what they know what they're talking about, and it proved true. I mean, Enos just—he's not the type of guy that's going to get you explosive plays. And for that matter, again, like this offense, it just—you got to get that. And listen, I understand that Arkansas this year doesn't necessarily have explosive speed, game-breaking speed at receiver, but guys like Isaac Tesla, those are guys that you—they should be utilized a little bit more to attack the linebackers, get behind them. I mean, I went to a couple of spring practices and watched that kid and. I didn't know who the hell he was and he was slipping through linebackers, getting open, all this stuff. And listen, a lot of these spring practices, I know they're, you know, scheming things up and it's pretty much almost like seven, seven in a lot of ways, but 
you know, I remember going and going, who is, who is that guy? You know, and they're like, yeah, it's a D2 kid that came in and all that. I'm like, this guy is pretty good. I could see him working in a system. And, um, you know, I, I just, uh, anyway, long story short, just the important thing here going forward is that Sam Pittman needs to identify what he wants this offense to be, stick with it, and then go find the very best offensive coordinator that he can that will come to Arkansas and run it. Because anything what what close to what Dan Enos was running, some pro-style offense, it's just not going to work at Arkansas. I have said it since I was a student in Arkansas. you got to run something different, a little bit different from everybody else to win here. It, it's just – I. You're not going to win here trying to play Alabama ball. Brett Bielema tried that, and ugh. you're not going to win here doing that type of stuff. You got to do things a little bit different. You got to get a genius offensive play caller like a Bobby Petrino. You got to get a guy like a Kendall Browse that can go and score points no matter the personnel because of his system. You got to change things up. You can't just say, hey, I know Danny knows. He knows me. We're going to win in the trenches. That's just, you're not going to do that at Arkansas. Speaking with Brandon Marceau of 24-7 Sports here on Out of Bounds. So, Brandon, you saying that, uh, alluding to Sam Pivin, whoever he gets next. So, you believe that he'll be back next season? I mean, there's fans that are wanting his head. You know, it's they're very upset with the way things have gone. But do you feel like he's back next season and he gets another shot to right the ship? Um, he, need, he needs to win at least, like, two more games probably, I would think. One or two. And I, I haven't looked at the schedule. They have F, someone tell me they had FIU on schedule still. Yeah, they go. So they have the bye week this week. Then they go to Florida. Then they have Auburn at home, FIU at home, and Missouri at home, all in Fayetteville. Lose to FIU. That's uh, that changes things. Um, you know, I know Auburn's bad this year offensively. Their defense is okay. They're pretty. They're okay. They're good. But their offense is atrocious. As bad as Arkansas has been, I think Auburn's might be worse because they just don't have a quarterback. Arkansas obviously has a quarterback in KJ. Um, I'm also wondering, like, is Rocket Sanders going to return and play? You know, there's some stuff going on there that uh, people need to keep track on. And I, you know, yeah, don't lose FIU. He loses FIU, then all bets are off. Otherwise, I think he will be back, but he loses to that team. I, I, I don't see how you keep him. This is such a, obviously, every year, every, everybody can say it's just an interesting time and in all this, but, uh, Man, listen, yeah, the SEC's tough, but um, it's about to get impossible. You got Texas and OU joining, and not just you're getting them jo joining the conference, but they're in your neck of the woods. They're driving distance from Fayetteville. Uh, you're going to be recruiting against them, and I think it actually kind of helps Arkansas from a recruiting standpoint, but it's going to be more difficult just as far as games year to week to week to week to week, and um, you got to – you got to carve something out. I mean, Sam Pittman was going, going up and was on the trajectory. Recruiting had been doing, has been going very well, and then you just it just all it takes is like one bad decision, man, to derail things. And boy, hiring Dan Enos is just absolute boneheaded decision. I'm sorry to say, and I love Sam, but but just boneheaded decision hiring him. Yeah, because I think some people are looking at what he did with the defensive staff, where the defense was so bad last year. He got mm -hmm. new coaches in, uh, got some new players in, and you know it's not an elite defense, but it's definitely doing the job of keeping Arkansas in the games. And I think that that's maybe where some fans are at of giving him another year, saying, "Hey, he did that with the defense, turned it around, and and got it to be respectable. Maybe he can do that with the offense, knowing that the Enos hire was a mistake, and maybe he can go out and 
get uh, get another great group, but it's going to come down to quarterback. You know, KJ Jefferson could technically come back next year, but does he? Or does he even does he transfer? Does he go to the NFL? I mean, there's just a lot of variations uh, and variables that could happen with uh, Sam Pittman and whoever he decides to get as the next hire. Yeah, and I think they'll be fine at quarterback either way, um, even if KJ leaves. Um, that offensive line, though, they got to figure something out. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't go get more help in the transfer portal this past offseason. Um, I'm sure that will be uh, an emphasis this year. Yeah, and then uh, looking at the the rest of the SEC, too, especially the SEC West, like I look at it also with uh, people talk about the SEC West being down or whatnot. And, you know, Bama may, definitely looks a little bit more beatable than maybe what they have before. You got the situation with LSU where they got a great offense, but their defense isn't really great. But just overall, the SEC West in general, uh, what do you make of this? Was this kind of maybe more of an anomaly of a year? Or is this maybe where things are going to start going, where some of these teams in the SEC West may not be as dominant, may not be as easily counted on to be successful as they once were? I think we're seeing more of a baseline because of the portal. You know, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of variables. But, you know, for example, look at Texas A&M. The last two to three years, they have absolutely just swallowed up all the talent along the defensive line in the rec in recruiting. Um, like two of those guys at A&M right now should be at Bama, let's be honest, recruiting-wise. But they went to A&M because of NIL stuff. And it just takes a couple of those things year after year after year that can help even things out. Now, they're not necessarily doing a whole lot at A&M, obviously, but Alabama would be doing probably a little bit better with them, let's be quite honest. Um, and then, of course, you look at Bama, you know, it's the first time that Nick Saban's had to go to the transfer portal to go get help at a position that he coaches, which is the defensive backfield. He had to go get two group of five guys to help the defensive backfield at Alabama, including a kid at UAB in the state. Like, who? why Nick would, like, rather, like, swim across the Atlantic ocean and have to recruit a kid that's going to a university in that, in that state. So um, yeah, it's hard. It's kind of hard times out there in the sec West because of the portal. It's even things out a little bit. It hasn't like completely like made it free range, but it's brought that baseline down a little bit. So one of the teams, of course, in college football that everyone's kind of has a favorite as the national champion and maybe rightfully so has been Michigan, but uh, things in the news have been, pretty wild with this whole story of them sending scouts to, to get teams and steal signals and all that. When I first heard about it, Brandon, I was kind of like, okay, well, maybe that's not that big of a deal or whatnot, but the more in depth that we hear about it and the more we read about the operation seems pretty serious. Just what do you make of this story? And what do you think it ends up being the results from it? Well, you know, the latest information that came out from uh, Richard Johnson, who's an incredible reporter for sports illustrated uh, was that this guy had like a, 500 to 600 page manifesto Michigan manifesto as he called it uh, about the future of the program and how he would run it in the future and how he's going to be the head coach someday. Um, I'm going to be quite honest with you. That report coming out helps Michigan in my opinion. Why? Because they can go, this guy was a rogue agent doing all this stuff. We had no idea exactly what he was doing, but he described himself as like this wonder King type of kid who just came in and said, I can understand the coverages. I know what kind of, whether they're going to be running press man or running some zone here or shading a linebacker over here, just based off the alignments and all the studying I've been doing. And they're like, okay, let's try it out one game day. And he stands behind them and goes, Hey, looks like, I think they're running press man here. And they're like, Oh, okay. Do that in a row. Coaches just sit there. I don't know how you're doing it, but keep doing whatever you're doing. I don't want to know what you're doing but keep doing what you're doing. There is plausible deniability that we had there. And I think that's 
I want to be honest with you. I think that's kind of actually what's going on in Michigan. I think that probably the coaches there, this is my opinion, probably have an idea like this kid's doing something, but maybe they didn't quite know what he was doing. And I also found interesting in that piece that he and some other Michigan guys who were younger guys like himself trying to make their way up, they were teaming up to write this manifesto and like how they would run Michigan in the future. This is, I think this is much easier now for Michigan's administration to argue against the NCAA and say, hey, this guy was a rogue agent. We didn't quite know what he was doing. And yeah, this is absolutely wrong. We agree. Getting rid of him or whatever. We'll accept some penalties or whatever. And then Michigan, not to say they'll get off scot-free, but I don't think that the penalties potentially will be as harsh as everybody thinks or is wishing. Um, and, and again, once again, this should open the eyes to the coaches across the country when they make rules, like just put a damn microphone in the quarterback's helmet. You know, it's funny. Look back in 1994. That's when the NFL made it legal to put a microphone in the quarterback's helmet for communication on the sideline. That was also the same year the NCAA put this rule in about scouting games in person. Same exact year. Everything goes back to 1994. So, um, yeah, they need to change the rules. But uh, it, this is a, I think this is the most interesting development yet because th- this makes the guy seem like he was a bit of a rogue agent. Yeah, I, I never dreamed in a million years that it'd be like somebody around that does that. But do you feel like it's maybe, and this will be the last one before I let you get out of here, do you think like that this is a, a more, more common, maybe not to the level yes. that we see it, but yeah, you think it's common? Well, I, I, listen, I've heard stories in the past about uh, uh, opposing coaching staffs logging into the other team's uh, practice cutups and getting practice film from that day on game weeks. I've, I've had I've had a head coach at a power five program just straight up say, yeah, this has happened to us. And we turned them into the the conference office. And of course, nothing really happened because you got to try and prove it and everything. Um, there's been talk of people obviously spying on practices. I mean, that goes back forever. Um, I, I mean, heck, I remember being a, a student at Arkansas when they started putting up some black tarp or whatever along the fence line there on Razorback Road. And hearing stories about some school being out off there on that like, parking lot. I don't know what lot that was looking over there on the hill, down on the old practice fields there, uh, taking photos and stuff. So yeah, this happens everywhere. It happens on the high school level. Um, you know, remember when drones started becoming a big thing, like eight years ago, yeah. I can remember I was covering Auburn at the time. I can remember someone had taken a drone up and was trying to get like cool shots or whatever at sunset of the stadium. Well, the stadium is near the practice fields and Auburn saw this going on while they're practicing and they started freaking out thinking that it was a team, you know, somehow spying on them. So yeah, everybody's paranoid. And the reason why they're all paranoid is because everybody's doing something to bend the rules anyway. But um, long story short, stuff like this has been going on since, you know, forever. And there are ways to limit that, and I think they just need to modernize the game. The whole idea of not putting uh, mics in the helmets of one linebacker and the quarterback is, is silly to me. They need to do that. Yeah, seems like it's uh, very uh, well overdue, but maybe this is the thing that pushes him towards that. Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at bmarcello. Follow all of his great college football content at 247sports.com. Appreciate it, Brandon, as always, man. Enjoy the rest of the football season. All right, man? All right. Thanks, John.